This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. Thank you for making the effort to be with us this weekend. And uh, I know you've been very busy um, working tirelessly for the election of your the candidate in Wentworth. And congratulations on the outcome. Um, it's been a joy uh, getting to know you more deeply this weekend. And I really like to thank you for your um, modeling or an expression of vulnerability yesterday during our interview. And I knew that was, uh, wasn't necessarily an easy thing for you to do. So. I also appreciated how, um, what a strong sense of history you have um, since I've gotten to know you better. I mean, me and Peter have been talking on, the, we've known each other for a long time, but we haven't been close friends. And we've been speaking a lot on the phone over the past few years, but uh, uh, Peter has an incredible, uh, both a sense of local history with his uh, grandparents having lived in uh, Benningen, and uh, but also just his, his sense of history in all different aspects of life in Australia. In fact, you, you were very moved uh, going into the Bellingen Township uh, yesterday afternoon. Uh, that was the first time since the 90s or something you've been into Bellingen. Yeah. So Peter's family has a connection with the town. <clears throat> um, and thank you all again. It's, uh, it always amazes me to, to, um, to be, just for so many people to show up um, and uh, and to to really engage with um, with some really serious questions about life, but also hopefully to enjoy yourselves as well and appreciate uh, all the the kind of intimacy that we experience even without speaking to each other, just knowing that we're all on a shared journey together. <clears throat> I wasn't sure what to talk about this afternoon, but I, what I've done is uh, basically just taken about four questions um, that were, came up today. Uh, so there was one question in the morning from uh, Phil about goals in practice. Um, there was the, uh, the questions from Zaid and Chelsea about does it matter what school or teacher or practice and, um, and also I guess the question from Suzanne about conflict between Christianity and, 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 and Zen Buddhism and uh, there may be some other questions that come up as we're talking uh, but there were, there, were some, there were some really good questions and found uh, both Peter's talk uh, very stimulating, and the questions very stimulating. Um, 
I mean, uh, me and Peter don't necessarily see eye to eye in every aspect of, of Zen practice. And, uh, but this is something we all need to uh, become acquainted with in the, in the land of, of Buddhisms. Um, as I've mentioned often now, there's a, a lot of diversity and there's no one authority in Buddhism, which is a good thing. Um, there's no text you can go back to to point out that's the truth. Um, and there's no one teacher who speaks the truth. Um, and a good, healthy skepti- a good healthy skepticism is part of Buddhist practice. To question, question everything. One of the things about the, um, I think the, uh, I think that kind of uh, expression of Buddhism is an expression of the impermanence of everything, including Buddhist teachings, and how they have to continuously reinvent themselves all the time. And um, and of course, one of the difficulties of that is that. Um, without there being a necessarily an acknowledged canon, you know, an acknowledged core of what the teachings are, well, who knows what, what Buddhism is? You know, it's an ongoing debate. And, um, which is, again, not necessarily a bad thing, and, and very much one of the reasons, I think, why Buddhism as a practice... Um, as a way of living, as a religion, as a philosophy, or different interpretations of how you want to view it, is so relevant to um, our postmodern times, um, where a lot of these certainties and truths are under, up for grabs. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I do believe though, that we do have to have some sense of some kind of trust in some traditions, even though um, um, they may not have the, the total truth. For example, science. Science doesn't have the truth, but it has a, uh, it has a methodology for, um, for falsifying statements. So it, it has a built-in questioning built into it through its experimental method. And, um, and it's, a, it's a kind of knowledge which um, doesn't necessarily belong to one person. This, you know, you get, yeah. um, uh, science is a, is, is, is a public, the public knowledge. It's something which we can all test out for ourselves. Uh, and, 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 and truth in science is something which is arrived at by consensus. And, uh, and truth being agreement on facts, for example, and which facts disprove which theories. Uh, so science doesn't have the truth, but in many ways it's very pragmatic. <laughs> Science can make things work. It can send a person to the moon. It's a pretty amazing thing. Um, so in, in many ways, uh, Buddhism uh, has many similarities to science in that way. It doesn't have the truth, and hopefully doesn't claim to have the truth. But if you read the, the those teachings that have come down to us, the claim is that it does have some pragmatic value. It does have something which works. 
and uh, the historical Buddha. Remember, the, the earliest, uh, perhaps, written texts we have were about 400 years after the verbal teachings. Uh, but in these verbal teachings, um, you know, he's, the emphasis over and over again is on suffering and the ending of suffering. He doesn't really worry too much about the higher metaphysical questions, such as is there a God or isn't there a God? Is there an afterlife or not? These are not important, not, not important questions to the historical Buddha. And uh, he was much more concerned with right now. What can we do right now to relieve the pain and the suffering that we are experiencing to create a better world? Um, so, um, in answer to the, like, to the question about what does it matter about what school or which teacher um, or what practice? My answer to that is both yes and no. Um, no, it doesn't really matter in the sense that which, you know, um, all human beings are of equal value. You know? We're all naked without our clothing. And uh, really it doesn't matter whether you're a Buddhist or a Christian or an atheist, it doesn't really matter. Um, then in terms of the sincere questioning, what really matters to you, what really matters to me? That's like that, that to ask those really, those, those questions to yourself, to really um, uh, uh, be authentic about that. And, and if we all ask those questions, and you know, maybe we come up with an answer, something along the lines of, well, I think it's important to be a good person and, uh, and to do no harm. And... Uh, and so you'll find those values in most religions and most philosophies, whether it's humanism, Christianity, Islam, etc. Um, but then, of course, we look at the history <laughs> of humanity and we, we sometimes have to question how come if this is teachings all about love or being a good person, why is there still so much violence in there? in the name of religion, or in the name of ideology, and so on. So again, we go to, we search, we search that question. Uh, so it might be really important to be, a, to be a good person, it might not be important to be a good person. We might say to ourselves, well, nothing really matters. That sense of nihilism, I'll just do whatever I want, and uh, just enjoy myself. Um, but like, we say in the when we chant the, the or recite the four practice principles, we talk about life as being the the teacher. And the same way in which Peter was talking about the the reality of cause and effect, uh, no one escapes cause and effect. Um, and so, um, at some point, we find ourselves at a certain place in our lives, and we start to ask these questions again. You know. What's my life about? What is a good life? How do I lead a good life? Uh, th th these are just our own personal questions that come up. And, uh, and it makes sense that we talk to other people about it or we read books about it in that quest. And uh, not only do we read books or talk to people, but we get to know people as well. We, we enter into relationships with people. And um, we give our trust to people. 
and uh, we sometimes allow ourselves to be mentored by somebody. This, these are, this, is, this is a huge trust that is given. And uh, unfortunately, in spiritual teachings and religious practices, uh, sometimes that trust has been awfully betrayed, as we all know. And then we ask those questions again, they come up. And so we're always on this quest to try and figure out what our lives are about. And whether we have children or don't have children doesn't really matter. But when we do have children, sometimes that, that comes up as even a, as a more keen question. Uh, what's my life about? What can I provide for this child that's just miraculously been born? It was uh, after my son was born, um, was when I started sitting uh, Zen practice. I, I moved away from reading books about it and started sitting because I wanted to try and create a, a family environment that he could grow up in and uh, it would be a healthy and loving environment. But unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Um, to the best of my ability, the, the marriage still collapsed in, in a very devastating way. And uh, he was hurt in that process, as we all were. Um, but, you know, we pick ourselves up and we, we start again. And um, so it's... In, in, in the, in, in, I, I don't think those questions, but those questions are the big questions. And every human being is asked those questions. And there's a whole, you know library of books you could go through and uh, but we haven't got multiple you know lives as far as I'm concerned I'm agnostic about afterlife and I don't think it's that important um, our time is limited and uh, and as our lives go by obviously we become more and more aware of that so at, at, at some time at some point we we kind of have to come make some kind of commitment, take some kind of risk. So when we enter into a, a relationship, a, a marriage or a partnership with somebody, uh, when, we, when we give ourselves fully to love somebody, we're, we know that we're always taking a risk when we do that. But it's worthwhile doing that. It's, it's better to take that risk than to be alone all of them. Some people may thrive as a hermit, but not many of us. Most of us prefer to be uh, with a partner and within a group. That's the general wiring of human beings. And um, so I think the uh, commitment to, uh, certainly when a philosophy becomes a practice, it requires some sense of taking a risk and taking a commitment and seeing if it works and you have to give it a chance and you have to throw yourself into it with a with a with a, with your heart as well as your mind um, that's that's why it matters as to what tradition or what teacher you practice with and uh, and, and and it's and it's perfectly fine to uh, uh, do some shopping around uh, everybody does that even in the uh, Classical Chinese Zen tradition, it was very, very common for uh, to study with one teacher and then you would be encouraged to go off and meet with other teachers and, and, and to entertain some kind of dialogue with other teachers and to uh, sharpen your understanding and your practice. It's really, um, 
you know, we can, we, can, we can really reduce all these issues down to two things, the sameness and difference, equality and differentiation, and we need them both. You know, we're all, we all have equal value as human beings. Everyone should be treated equally at the same level of worth. And we also need to respect individual differences. We're always trying to find the balance in that way. And uh, in the same way that you, you're not going to necessarily marry the first person you meet, uh, and have a, a go, out, go out on a date with, uh, you're not necessarily going to um, make a commitment to one particular teacher or tradition in that way. Um, you, you have to, through your own experience, like your personal experience of the tradition, of the teacher, um, you will be attracted in, in the same way as we're, we're, we're attracted, like, um, you know, in my profession of psychotherapy, not every the, the personal relationship is very, very important. And uh, it's like any other relationship. Uh, and we're not necessarily going to click with every person. Um, it's very much the same in a, in, a, in, a, in a spiritual relationship or a teacher-student relationship. Um, you, you, you get drawn to someone you feel there's some kind of fit with. And, uh, and then you, you get to experience that person. You get to experience their integrity. Um, uh, really, I, I, it wasn't until really I started, um, you know, I've been sitting in Zen for quite a while, it, it wasn't until I actually, I moved to um, northern Queensland for a year and was quite isolated and I started an email correspondence with Barry Majid and, and, it, was, and it was from that email correspondence that our relationship developed, so I don't even got to see him face to face very often. but. Even in, even in that email correspondence, like I did mention this to Peter the other day, the defining quality that always remained with me about Barry and still does today was his generosity. It was his generosity of time. <laughs> I'm feeling quite emotional. Um, it was um, his ability to give of himself um, and... and um, I knew he was a very, very busy, busy person, and uh, you know, coming from a working-class Manchester boy background, you know, having missed out on grammar school and thinking I was pretty, you know, not that smart. Um, um, it took me a lot of years in my life to actually get the courage to talk to people in that way, to think of myself as being of equal worth. And um, these are our, the, you know, these, these cultural conditionings and societal factors, family of origin factors, affect us. And uh, it was in my teacher's willingness to, um, to be there for me, to... Um, that made the difference. Um, there are other factors as well. He, you know, he's, he's very philosophical, he's well-educated, and that's something I've always been attracted to. But sometimes I think he could go on a bit too much philosophically as well. Sometimes I, I prefer things to be kept really simple. Um, but, but so to me, it was, it was more about the authenticity and genuineness of his character that made all the difference. And I thought, well, 
if, 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 if that practice has got something to do with how that person is, then it's a worthwhile practice. Never before in the history of humanity have we had so much available to us on the internet. So many teachers and teachings, some smorgasbord. But how do you really get to know somebody, even in those in those situations? How do you get to trust them? You don't necessarily have to Obviously, Barry's in New York, I'm in Australia, we don't see each other very often. But you can still appreciate someone's character. And there are ways we have of, you know, you can see. So, I would just encourage you uh, to think of practice as practice. You know, it's not that much different from getting better at learning the piano or a guitar or whatever it is we're practicing. The more we practice, the better we get. Um, but also the importance of relationship, to, to have a relationship both with a teacher and with a, what in Buddhism is called Sangha, which I'm happy just to call a community of good friends you know, who come together. Um, when Barry gave me this little green thing, which <laughs> signified him giving me permission to teach, um, it really is a form of entrustment. Um, he entrusted me with his teaching. He trusted me enough to encourage me to teach. And uh, so I want to honour that, honour that entrustment. And aspire to the same level of generosity. So, um, in terms of the question about goals in practice, um, as I mentioned to Peter the other day, we were talking about it, and I think I mentioned it yesterday as well, there's a lovely, lovely quote from Shunmaru Suzuki, the San Francisco, the Japanese teacher into San Francisco in the 60s, who wrote the book called beginner's mind and um, at some place in his, I'm not quite sure which book it's in, but he says you are perfect as you are and you could do with a little improvement <laughs> and that's kind of like a koan it's a really beautiful sort of captures that sort of paradox that we're all engaged in um, to accept the perfection not only of ourselves, but of our partners, our friends, and everyone else. And at the same time, we could all do with a little improvement, couldn't we? You know, we could all be a little bit more generous, or we could all be a little bit more uh, wiser, or, um, you know, whatever it might be. You know, we could maybe sit a bit longer, or, we, you know, there's so many ways in which we could work on ourselves. But we work on ourselves, in a sense, uh, to try not, not to get caught into what Barry talks about, the self-improvement project. It's not about changing because we perceive ourselves as being deficient or somehow lacking or not good enough. Uh, 
the, the, the aspiration of practice is more about becoming more truly who we are already and also join, joining in that awakening process to awakening has to be a culture of awakening it just can't be about me I wouldn't exist without my mother and father not just in the sense of being born but I wouldn't have a self without my mother right? if I'd just been put into an orphanage and left in a bed for three years I wouldn't have a self not the kind of self I have now I wouldn't, myself wouldn't have grown. So we're all dependent upon relationship. You know? We can't do this on our own. We have to do it with each other. We have to create the kind of culture here now locally in our community, in our little Sangha or community here, in our friendships, the kind of culture we want the world to be about. So one of the things, I guess, uh, in Zen, in terms of a goal, uh, it's more about an aspiration, it's more about the perfection of character. And uh, so the sense in which we, in, the, uh, in, in Zen Buddhism, there's these, these six things called the six parameters, or the six perfections. Well, sometimes known as, the, the word parameter sometimes is, 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 is getting to the other shore. Um, I mean, in terms of a tradition too, that's a nice metaphor that's often used in Buddhism, that the, the practice is kind of like the raft which takes you to the other shore. The other shore being Nirvana, but remember, Nirvana is also here and now. Nirvana is uh, when we're able to respond to each other and ourselves from a place of non-reactivity, where we can respond with compassion and wisdom. Uh, and... Um, our practice is, is like this, this, this draft which can take us there. But what I mean, but when we get to the other side of the shore, when we get to the other shore, then maybe that, that uh, the practice has become, or the, you know, the raft has become so much a part of ourselves that we can swim without the raft. But, like Peter says, you know, we then sit because we just, sitting is what we do. It's just become part of our life. Um, the same as brushing our teeth, the same as uh, speaking respectfully, speaking with possibility, speaking with, you know, speaking in a way which wants to help to awaken us all up. This all becomes part of who we are. So in Buddhism we talk about the three treasures, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. And the Buddha is the teacher, Dharma is the practice, or the teachings. And the Sangha is this little group here, the community. And every, every Sangha is part of a larger community, obviously. And then globally. And, uh, and I think it's okay for this diversity to have lots and lots of little networks, little communities. Because as we all know, when an, when an organisation gets to be very large, I mean, we are wired to being, as human beings, to being in small groups. You know, um, if I had a, a, a sangha of a thousand people, that might be good for my ego, but it, I mean, it would be really hard to me to have a close, intimate relationship with everybody. So, and, and, and Barry Sanger in New York, he's a brilliant teacher, but I mean, it averages around about maybe 20 that will come along on his Saturdays when he gives his talk and, and so on. Sometimes we get about maybe 30 at a session. New York's a big place, you know. Um, 
And he doesn't have any ambitions about, you know, having to have a thousand students. <laughs> He's quite happy just to have a small group and enjoy that. And, and again, that's, that's intimacy, you know. Um, and we create this together, you know. You know Rennie's not here today, but uh, I was just talking to Peter about how this particular community, this Sangha, not just about me creating it, we're all creating it, we're all adapting and developing. And as I said before, hopefully we don't lose the baby in the bathwater, whatever the baby is. But maybe the baby is the bit of the diamond saying it, I don't know. But like, um, um, you know, we, we adapt it to our needs, to our Australian Zen practice. What is Australian Zen practice? What is the practice in this, you know, mid-north coast? What, what shape does that take? And it gets shaped, we shape it. We shape it for a week. We want it to work for us. And uh, so I'm very open to people sharing ideas with me and, uh, and, and evolving and, and creating as we go. Now, in some ways, is it possible we've got to the point of evolution where we can somehow consciously make a difference in our evolution now as, as a species on this planet? Like, um, you know, we've, we've inherited this particular brain that we have and... Uh, as we know, it's very highly wired towards survival. And uh, that can all, all sometimes lead to territorial wars. But it's also highly wired towards affiliation and attachment. Hence the basis for compassion is already built into our biological system. Can we consciously move more towards affiliation and compassion? And, 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 and away more from this, this territorial conflict over possessions. Can we consciously affect our evolution? Maybe. Maybe there's a hope. Maybe it's too late. But we have to act as if there is a hope, I think. Finally, the, the question, Susanna, but I wasn't quite sure what your question was about the conflict between Christianity and Buddhism. Um, but if you, if, you, if you reduce it to this whole question about what's a good life and, and uh, how to be a good person, where's the conflict? Is there any conflict there? It's just the indoctrination of that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's been very strong. Yeah. So, yeah? I just feel like... I don't know, it's just it's very strong and it's very hard for me to leave it behind. Right. Mm. But you're aware of it? Yeah, I'm very much aware of it. Yeah. yeah. It took me a long time though. Yeah. So where's the conflict then? Well, because it's, otherwise it will not go in there because it's not at the same time. Sorry, sorry. No, I've got a Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning, yeah. Church services are one. Like yeah. That. And then the Zen Buddhism. Yeah. I have to sit on Sunday morning at the same time, so yeah. I have to make a decision where I'm going to go. Okay, okay. Well, that's a nice decision to have to make. I think the Anglican priest in Bellingham does need some support. I heard she only got six or seven people the other week. Okay. There was children screaming all the time. I just couldn't, you know. Oh, right. Every right. time I went, I just got children. <coughs> you know, I just wasn't brought up to that. And, you know, I was very indoctrinating the church I heard. Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, again, I, I think it comes down to these 
sort of trusting, you know, being able to trust yourself as, as to what's most beneficial for you and, 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 and uh, the rest of your life as to where you want to commit your time. So, any so open to questions, comments? Anybody wants to share something? I think I just, I think um, in that sense of um, being on a Sunday and on a Sunday, I think there's, always, there's still another six days to, to, to look at everything else. And there are, I might not be able to make it to some of these things because I work away and do things, but I will be trying my darkest to practice as much as I can on all different forms of anything, really. I mean, martial arts, I do martial arts and I do this and I want to try to do other things and that's just how it's going to be but I'm not afraid of that because they're not against each other these ones I don't feel like this there, there is no uh, attack on another religion through, through, through Buddhism or through Roman Zen I've found no conflict between the two because I think it doesn't ask for conflict it doesn't it's not it's, it's yeah it's all it, it works in harmony I think as well yeah, that's, that's it, beautiful timing, that's, that's very <laughs> Yeah, that's lovely, Mitch. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for coming these last two, you know, yesterday and today. Thank you for having me, everybody. And Zay, thank you for bringing me. Yeah. Have you been going, Zay? Good. I yeah. did have one question. Um, yeah. I was wondering whether, I guess, this branch of Buddhism. Uh, then I guess I'm still new to it, so I'm still starting sure. to understand yeah. it. Um, wonder whether it's it's maybe it's from my observation seems to be a little more philosophy based than practical based, or it. I guess I'm comparing it to Vipassana, where it's observation of your sense senses. Again, um, it, it comes. And the, the philosophy a, is quite like minimal. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, in in this in this branch, like in my in terms of my what they call lineage, like your like your family tree, so my teacher and his teacher, right? Um, so like my you know it's like we often say in the Dharma, like Barry's my father in the Dharma and Joker's my grandmother in the Dharma. So um, in terms of my father and my grandmother, then um, there's a lot of emphasis more. More by Joker, but still by Barry in terms of direct experiencing, like direct experiencing of the body. She saw that as being core practice and a very, very healing practice. She wasn't as philosophical as Barry, so you know Barry can get a bit more philosophical. But that's something I quite like a lot of the time. So yeah, so maybe a bit more philosophy with Barry than with Joker. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. That's not everybody's cup of tea. But you've got to be who you are, right? You know.
I'd like to say something, uh, Andrew. Um, I've said this to you before, it always amazes me how um, points come up, you know, um, within these days that we, we do this that just directly relate to my recent experience and I, I love the synchronicity of that um, because one of the... Uh, one thing I have been struggling with a bit lately um, has been a kind of a sense of isolation within myself. Um, you know, having this aspiration towards this uh, uh, creating a more, uh, working with the Dharma and working towards uh, better practice, but uh, feeling disconnected from that that, that body, that, that uh, community mm. Mm. Um, and also just in my own personal life I just um, just recently uh, you know you're, you're getting older you're experiencing a sense of mortality and also you're experiencing that sense of the isness of you it's a very singular thing and it is in a sense um, what it comes down to, you know, we, we come into this world alone, we leave this world alone. We are, a, it, it's this dichotomy, you know, while we're here, we need to be connected to something. But at, at the end, it's just going to come down to your own sort of isolate, uh, a kind of isolation in a sense, that this sense of. This is my, just my experience. No one else will have this. And so I just found it great how, how you were connecting up the, the fact that um, within a practice, which at times can be a lonely place to be, because it's not where everybody's at. Um, you know, you, can, you can't talk to all your friends about what you do on this level. Um, so it's just reinforced for me how uh, important it is to connect to you know this this sort of brotherhood, really, this community and sisterhood and sisterhood, of course. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I just again, I just want to. Um, or oh, maybe just be personhood, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> personhood? Yeah, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> Peter um, talked about that very thing on his talk on Friday night. Um, did you? Yeah, yeah Peter did. Um, with the, uh, about coming into the world alone and leaving yeah. alone, didn't you? Yeah. You spoke about that on Friday night. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, I think you called it individuation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. But, but even in even in that, even if, for example, you know, you're lying on your deathbed and you're all on your all by yourself, mm. I think for most of us, we'd probably like to have someone with us mm. holding our hand. Maybe. Yeah. But like, if we if we were on our own, um, even at that point, we're always in relationship. There might not be a relationship to a human being, but yeah. there might be a bird yeah, singing I, out the window. Yeah, and I think that's what I connected with today. You know, yeah, especially just. The sense that um, 
the interconnections are always there, that you are supported. And, you know, the, um, doing this, this work, moving on this journey can be quite difficult and sometimes you just do feel quite isolated. I agree, um, I agree. There, I mean, there, there is, you know, when the, yeah. the meaning, the, the, yeah. the, the, the context drops away yeah. from, from things in your life that yeah. used to be important, but yeah. now all of a sudden the layer has peeled and, and, yeah. and it can leave you with a sense of yeah. isolation. Yeah, I mean, what I'm, I mean, I think Vipassana is a, a great practice and they're all different kinds of, you know, Vipassana teachings, whether you're Burmese Vipassana or Indian Vipassana, whatever the Vipassana might be, but um, some of the, like, for example, uh, sometimes I, I felt that for me, just for me personally, like some of the, the Vipassana practice was too isolating for me. Mm. And I found, paradoxically, Zen can be like that too. Like if you went on a Japanese uh, session in Japan, you, you're just facing a wall, and maybe you know that feels very isolating as well. Uh, I think what a, what 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 a lot of the the, the female teachers brought, like Joker and Tony Packer and others, was this emphasis on on, on sharing and community and. Uh, and, uh, and Barry's, Barry's continued the importance of that, the importance of relationship, the importance of attachment. This, is, this practice is not about not being non-attached to anything, not, 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 certainly not to friends, it's about not being attached to our anger and our fear, but it's certainly about being attached to people we love and care for. And just embracing that, you know, embracing the, the emotions which go with that when we lose somebody. about becoming more fully human. Not, it's not about not be, being human, it's about fully the full potential, full potential of being human. And I think sitting with a group is really, really powerful. And I think the effects are sometimes not necessarily noticeable at the time, even though you feel good at the time, but um, a bit later on, you actually have a reaction to something or an engagement with something that you would never have thought. I went home yesterday and I caught a spider and put it outside. <laughs> I don't like spiders. I've never done that. And my daughter went to the bath, so I caught this daddy long legs, which I would have normally just gone, the vacuum cleaner, without a thought. <laughs> Come on, spider. Do a Out you go. Outside, I come back inside. My husband goes, "What are you doing?" Oh, oh, I just, I just want a spider outside. <laughs> and he just went, "You a spider?" Like, yeah, just put a spider outside. It was just such an unlikely thing for me to do, but it just was such second nature at that time to look at this spider as something more than just a spider. Beautiful. Mm. That's great. Would you like to come back to our place tonight? The spider, the spider gatherer. <laughs> you can maybe even make a job out of it, yeah. um, like those you know, those mouse traps that you do. I just want to say I really enjoyed reading "Leave Yourself Alone." Couldn't help but laugh. Yeah, I heard you laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Barry, Barry does have a good sense of humour. <laughs>